welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Hi, I'm Rich Irani, and you're listening to Rich in Life. This is part two of our conversations with my great longtime friend, Bob Harper. You know him from The Biggest Loser. He's the author of four books and a heart attack survivor. We had so much to cover that we're launching it in two parts. And if you missed the first part, please be sure to go back and listen to it. We cover his catapult to fame with The Biggest Loser and how he came to be America's trainer against all odds. In today's episode, we will cover his love for fashion, more anecdotes, and how all of this came to a screeching halt with his heart attack in 2017. We'll find out how life as he knew it would change forever and how he deals with it today. So much to cover. Let's get started. All right, we have to touch on The Biggest Loser because that's something everybody wants to know about you. You were such a pioneer and you really changed the face of training. Mm -hmm. You made trainers um, allow themselves to believe that they can be, whether it's famous or build a huge career, make a lot of money. You started that trend and it was a great thing that you did that. A lot of people want to know, how did you get the biggest loser? How did that come to be? Let's start with that. Well, pioneer is a perfect word because we were in uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. It's like reality television wasn't what it was uh, or what it is now. And um, I remember living in Los Angeles and again with the clientele that I had, uh, there was this show that was coming down the pipeline. It was called The Biggest Loser. And uh, they were starting to interview trainers in New York and LA. And with the clientele that I had, they were like, you gotta go in for this audition. So I went in for the audition. Long story short, it was like a six week audition process. I had to train every NBC executive, every um, CEO, every person that was like gonna be affiliated with this this job. And uh, it wasn't until after six weeks, I didn't get the job. Like, um, I don't know if I, I, I know I told you this. You told me everything. I know all of this and I'm gonna add to it when you're done, but yes. continue. I did not get the job. It was another guy that got it. And like, they they always, they kept saying to me, heart, head, heart, head. Like I was the heart and the other guy was the head. He was like, you know, had all the degrees, had all those initials after his name. And they, they give me this call and they were like, we decided to go with the head. And I remember that weekend in Los Angeles, I was, I was destroyed. I, cause I had just talk about putting all my eggs in one basket. I was like, I know that this is my job. And when I got the call saying I didn't get it, it made no sense to me. And um, it wasn't until that happened on a Friday. And by next Thursday, I got a call, got the job offered to me only because the guy that they were offering it to, he, he tried to negotiate. And in the beginning of this, there was no negotiation. Like I took a pay cut to get this job because I knew the potential of it. And uh, they were like, he, he negotiated, it didn't work out. Uh, the job is yours if you want it. And they were like, and this is how much you're going to get paid and don't ask for any more. And I was like, where do I sign? And I, and I remember this because we had this conversation in Australia and When I say how smart you are, it's for so many reasons. It's what I said earlier about Gwyneth Paltrow and learning about the macrobiotic. It's about taking the pay cut and not opening your mouth when I know, you know, Jillian had an issue with them and she negotiated too hard and she left the show and then she came back. But um, one of my favorite times, which um, I want to talk about is also Australia. And then I want to get back to the biggest loser because actually let's finish the biggest loser. Was there any behind the scenes secrets? Was there a vomitorium in the back that people had to do? I mean, was there a lipo or cool spa people doing anything? I mean, really? You know, I'll tell you this, and that's what was so fascinating about the job. It was all diet, exercise, nothing else. And that was what was so appealing to me. Like you could work with someone that was 400 plus pounds and 
the working out and uh, the, the, the diet, you know, really following every single calorie to the letter of the law. I mean, we didn't even know what we had. Like in the very, that first season, that first season, Richie, when the first weigh-in came up, we were all just kind of like, are they gonna lose any weight? Like, is this gonna happen? Because again, pioneers, unchartered territory. And so, um, yeah, so it was like, that was all the all that work. When I was done with that first season, I don't know if you remember, but like, I was, I was rail thin because I had worked myself into the ground. It goes back to my work ethic, right? Like, I wasn't able to see anyone during this time. I moved out of my apartment and stayed at a place that was near the campus where we first started working because I knew that nothing else mattered. And like following up because Loser was on for 18 seasons, like my whole life was Loser. Like it was that job and nothing else. Like when all my friends, you know, for 20 years are just like, come, you know, come to the club. I got to see you more because the jobs where I would have to come to New York and do the Today Show and different things like this, like those times where I could see you and Brad and we would get together, like those were my only moments of like normalcy during that that 20 year period. Because it was 20 years of working nonstop. There were times where, because our show was the only thing that NBC had it at one point and we were shooting two seasons. I was working like 48, 49 weeks out of the year. Like I had no life and I was not complaining. Like I was signed on, I was ready for it. No, it's true. You never did complain, but you were wonderful as a friend. And I remember when you negotiated to go to Australia, you had these first class tickets, you got a whole bunch of them. And you told me and Brad, you have to come. So of course you gave us these tickets to come see you in Australia, first class on Qantas. I mean, I could have stayed on the plane all 10 days. I didn't have to leave the plane. I didn't but, want to leave that, that plane either. Yeah. Like you, and I know that you remember like the, the horrific thing that happened. Of course, I was going to say, and it was one of, it was the very first time I saw you very vulnerable and talk about your family. Your mom had passed away. So for people listening. So here we are, me and Brad get on a plane, a 24 hour flight to Australia to see Bob. And we find out that your mom had passed away. And now you are going back in the opposite direction to where was it? Tennessee? Tennessee. Tennessee to go to the funeral. Now your job was so arduous and you were at the mercy of everybody that you had to go to that funeral, leave the funeral, get back on a plane and go right back to Australia. In any case, me and Brad were waiting for you in Australia. Um, I think it was at the Park Hyatt, beautiful hotel. Yeah. And I remember seeing you and, um, it was the first time I saw you not being so funny and not being so crazy. And you just look heavy. You looked heavy, and um, it was the first time I saw you vulnerable and talking about your family. And it was just a great, it was a great way for me to connect with you, I guess. That was a real, that was one bonding experience because all the fun we have together is one thing. But when I hear about your family, your mom, how you felt about it, seeing you go through the morning stages and having to work at -hmm. the same time. But I mean, I'd like to think me and Brad or Brad and I, excuse me, made it a little bit easier for you. Oh, I, you have no idea. You you were angels that were like, helped me through that. It was, I don't know if you remember the timeline, but it was Christmas. Yes. And, and Christmas, New Year's. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was Christmas and New Year's. And uh, I got the call that my mother uh, died of a heart attack uh, on Christmas Eve. So on Christmas day, here I am in Australia and you know, we're trying to make flight arrangements to get me out of Sydney and to Nashville, Tennessee. And like got there, buried my mother. The next day had to get back on a plane and fly that 20 something hours to get back. And that's when you guys were there. And remember we were, it was New Year's Eve at the Park Hyatt, which was right by the Opera House and the bridge, like where all those fireworks always happen. And we were directly under that. Do you remember that? We had this beautiful- Of course. I was so exhausted and I was so emotionally spent. I was like, I have got to go to bed. And you were just, you two were like, you got me to my room. You, you know, you got me in bed. And the next day was like having you guys there. And you were just, 
you were just such good friends during that time. Like you've, you've always been good friends, but like in that really tough time that I didn't have, I didn't have the smile to put on. I didn't have all, all that, that personality. I was just, I was a wreck and you guys were just like, it's all going to be, it's all going to be fine. It's all going to be good. And like you, you helped me through a really, really tough time. I'll never forget that. Yeah. I, I remember always telling you, you know, I don't care if you hate me at the moment, I'm still going to love you. I don't care if you disagree with me at the moment or think that I'm giving you bad advice or you don't like what I'm telling you. I'm still going to love you. So, I mean, hate me, disagree with me. I don't care. I'm still going to love you. You're not going to get me to, you know what I'm saying? Fight with you or whatever. You know, that's one thing is I was never temperamental. I'm always the friend that says, yeah, we have plans. If you, if you have a better offer, no problem. Just go, you get a better offer. You can leave me. We'll do it another time. Yeah, you're that's not what I, temperament. You're you're pretty even keel. Like, don't you think? I, I I don't think I know. I am not temperamental, and I think that it does bother some people. Like when I tell them, you know, listen, if you get a better offer for this night, don't worry, feel free to cancel. You know, that go. Like, well, what is that supposed to mean? But I have yeah. a lot of single friends that are always on, you know, either Grinder or the straight version of it. I'm like, you know, do what you got to do. I love you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and see, I'm the opposite. Like if I plan something and you take a better offer, I'm pissed. <laughs> well, it's funny because I really don't do that. Although I did do it one time and I was really shitty. And it was to my friend, Isaac, Isaac Franco, um, who is a friend of ours, my childhood friend and like my brother. It was when you invited me to the Melissa Etheridge <laughs> concert. And who was that, Carl? Yeah, I guess someone came to the, I'm sorry. That's... Oh, to the, no, that's fine. We're going to talk about Carl later. I know you're obsessed. I know you have an obsession with him. Yeah. But um, in any case, so I remember I, I made my friends go to Miami. I mean, I didn't make them. I said, I want to go to Miami for my birthday. And two days after we got there, you called me up and like, Rich, you've got to come back to New York. Melissa is doing this really small concert. It's going to be fabulous. And I was young and I did something shitty. I was like, I came back. I said, Isaac, come with me. We'll all go. They're like, we don't want to go back. We just got here. I said, well, we're going to go back. So I know, Isaac, you're listening. I'm sorry. I love you. I evolved. I would never do that again. Yeah, but I mean, we all do things. And I think what me and you, I think what our goal is, and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, is putting your best foot forward. We have to evolve in life. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to realize, and we talk about this because we've commiserated over relationships, over family issues, about rifts with friends. And we always talk about, and I, and, and I think I've learned that the grass is not always greener. And I think that you kind of learned that too. Yeah, where you're really good at like the grass is not always always greener. That was a that was one thing that was difficult for me. You know, I'm always kind of like, you know, what's what's going on? But I think that that comes with age, right? I think. You get it. I think a little bit comes with upbringing, but I also think a, 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 I think a lot of it does come with age. I've become a lot more secure as I've gotten older. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my mom once said something really funny when I first had made enough money to get a second credit card. I gave her that credit card and I said, go shopping. Months went by. She never went shopping. Finally, I one day I said, Ma, I want you to go out and spend three thousand dollars. That's your budget on clothes. I'm going back maybe 18 years ago. Uh -huh. she, she, I told her, go to this store. It's called Estes. Everybody goes there. She said, what are you, crazy? I'm not going to Estes. They're so expensive. I said, but everybody goes there. My mom answered me, let everyone have everything. I don't want it. And that was a pivotal point in my life. And to this day, I kind of live, live by that. That as you get older, I guess you just, you know, you realize and you prioritize. And I think that like life is ever changing and, um, and we are, we're, we're made to evolve or not. And I think that evolving is a choice that we have to make for me, like sometimes on a daily basis, like, okay, am I going to let, you know, this situation, whatever this situation is, get me down, or am I going to like fight through it and move forward? Right. A rolling stone gathers no moss. So I think that there are days that I can do that. There are days that I can't do that. And I have to honor each and every one of those days, right? Like well, you can't be perfect. Mm -hmm. No, and I think you've had to learn that really the hard way, which I'm going to get to soon. But I want to go back for a second to The Biggest Loser. Do you think that a show like that today would fly? Or do uh, you think it would be considered fat shaming? You know what? That's a really good question because 
when we did the remake on USA uh, before COVID, that was the concern is like, is this the time that you can do it? And it was so successful. We did so well Good. because we had such a shift in what the show was um, was going to be. And before it was just like, you know, it was a big network show, right? Where it was like weight loss and insanity and crazy craziness. This was a quieter, gentler season of just stories and uh, relatability. And uh, I don't know, it was like, I really loved what we did um, on the reboot. I thought that it was super sweet and super special. And I think it resonated with a lot of people. So uh, I think there is a place for a show like Loser uh, in this in this climate because you have to treat it with more attention and more care. Yeah, as opposed yeah. to being like, you know, just a network TV show that's like going to extremes. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that there was no blowback. Um, there's nobody I know that takes fashion as seriously as you. And when you had money, when you didn't have money, you can smell a trend or spot a look from a mile away. I mean, you can stop dead in your tracks in mid-sentence, look around, and then some cool guy would come by and something. It's like you just smell it from a mile away. Yeah. How did you, I mean, it's not fair that you are a great trainer. You know so much about health, dieting, taking care of your body. And yet you still, you're also a cook, which we didn't get to. You're a great photographer, which you know I also want to talk about. But in addition to all that, your fashion is no joke. My fashion is mm -hmm. no joke. When uh, did you get bit by the designer bug? I need to take photographs of you, new photographs of you, um, by the way. I would love it. Yeah. Um, I have always been so like growing up in the 80s and like you know that whole MTV generation where uh you know all this different types of fashion were just coming at me I you know like like with the macrobiotic diet right like I just got really into it like then all the the supermodels that uh, that came around you know all of our Cindy's and Linda's and um and Naomi's like I got drawn into that world and like I loved it it wasn't until I was with you mm -hmm. in New York at Jeffrey uh -huh. and we were, there It was a, a big sale going on. Do you remember this? Of because, course I do. Because all of a sudden there was this leather jacket that like, I went, well, what the fuck is that? It was and, like reduced to like what, $2,000. I mean, what was it? A $5,000 or $4,000 jacket at the time. I think that it was even cheaper, but it was Rick Owens. Yes, I remember. I did not know who Rick Owens was. And you were just like, you said, this is a, a designer. He's this kind of like new up and comer. And I think you're really going to like him. And I went into this, I started going into this rabbit hole world. And then fortunately that my career started allowing me to, um, yeah. to venture into these. And it was when I got, introduced to a store in New York City, one of the best stores that has ever lived. And um, it was Atelier. It was, uh, well, when it was uh, this little hole in the wall, Carlo opened it up in this little, like it was a, you, you'd miss it. You'd, you, you'd miss it if you didn't know to look for it. And going in there and it was like, Carpe Diem and Demula Meister. It was Rick Owens. It was like these designers and I was like, who are these people that are just blowing my mind? And then when Atelier moved over onto Hudson and it became that, that thing, like I was and continued to be obsessed with those guys. Like, you know, you, you, we talk about fashion a lot. There's this, like, there's, a, there's this misconception that gays have this really good fashion sense. It's not the case. Like, no, these, we know that. These guys that worked in this store, let me tell you, all straight fashion nerds, that's what I called them in the nicest possible way. And we would sit and they would like, they would talk me through de designers, Harnden and Demir Doma, like all these, these names that like, I needed to know everything. 
that that they were about. And so- you soaked in the knowledge and you got me hooked, which, you know, I always say you were a bad influence. I could never keep up. As soon as I got to a certain price point of liking something, <laughs> you'd come up with Carol Christian Pohl. You're like, oh my God, Carol Christian Pohl. That was one of your favorites. I know Come de Garçon, Rick Owens, uh, Paul Harden. I mean, if you would have showed me Paul Harden, if anyone else other than you would have showed me Paul Harden, I would have thought it was a costume. Uh, and, but you know, I loved it. I couldn't wait to buy a piece of Paul yeah. Harden, which I never did because I couldn't find them in my size. But it had all this wiring in it. So it kind of made you look like, you know, you can look like a bum. The collar would stand up. It was just so cool. You have such a flair. And it makes me wonder. And it's funny, I never thought about it before until I was preparing kind of to talk to you. I feel like you need to come up with some kind of nothing big because I don't I don't know how important fashion is today. But I'd love to see you with a collection of bandanas. Uh, I want to do. I actually have been toying with this idea. I talk about like the next chapter in life, uh, making fitness wear something like that I want to wear. Like, I'm, yes, like I'm wearing these, like, you know, these Rick Owens drop crotch pants that like, you know, aren't great for working out, but I just like the way they look and being able to like do a line, just like a little line of, of something that like, you know, would be in my, in my lane of fitness, but also bring in the fashion that I love. And so tell me, what would it look like? Because I remember going to Equinox back in the, I don't remember, the early 2000s or very late 90s when I first joined before it was corporate. And it was a modeling agency because they used to give models free passes to come. And back then, people used to wear the vintage Adidas uh, pants that were wide at the bottom, and they'd mm-hmm. wear the collar shirts. They'd work out and run with a, you know, a, um, a workout shirt. It was a workout shirt, but they had a collar. It just so was so retro and so cool. I know that's not your look, but right. give me a vision of what the Bob Harper collection would be. Well, it would so be- I could copy it. Yeah, let me out tell of China. You. So I can copy it out of China before you. <laughs> it's, it would be all about the fabric, right? Like the, yes. the fabric would have to be um, conducive to actually being functional working out. Like that's what like Lululemon a million years ago when they came out, like they were smart because they they, they had move, they had movement in their clothing. Like I wouldn't be caught dead in Lululemon. I mean, no offense, like God love you, you know, where like it's just not right. Working. But like, like being able to bring fabric into um, this kind of, Yoji, like think Yoji, think Rick um, into into fitness. And that's what I want because people don't want to just wear like a, a grubby, like short. It is so boring and so uninspiring. It makes me not even want to go anymore. I don't know. Like I do. I want a look for the gym and I don't know what it is. Do you remember in The Biggest Loser, they gave you a budget to spend on clothes and you spent the entire budget on one pair of shorts. Girl, that's been my that's been the story of my life. Like back when I had no money, like again, going back to Yes. I will I will save my money to buy. I can't buy a knockoff of something and have like what five or six. I need the real thing and I'll wear that bitch into the ground. But you would find shit that you didn't have to find like you turned over every rock as if like I need to find something that is going to be out of my budget or the whole budget. And it's like you would find it. You would find the most exclusive and the coolest thing. And it worked for you. And I'm going to tell you why it worked for you. You transitioned yourself and you were very smart. And this is where, again, where I say you're smart and you're strategic. Yes, you were America's trainer. Everybody knew you as the cool tattooed guy on The Biggest Loser. Nobody knew if you were gay or you weren't gay. You know, you seemed like you were always losing your shit on that show. You had this macho appeal. And I know everybody kind of became obsessed with who you were in a relationship with. Did you have a wife? Uh, Did you have a boyfriend? So I, I know all this. And, you know, we already established that you have a boyfriend, you're gay. But I remember... You were supposed to go on the Kelly show, Kelly and Regis. I don't know if Regis was on at the time, but it was Kelly and somebody. 
Uh-huh. And this is where you are so smart and strategic. So what you decided is that you didn't want to be just the trainer guy. You were not. You were already spending so much money on clothes. I mean, you had a closet filled with clothes that could add up to hundreds of thousands of dollars between the bags. You listen, I'm including the bags. I'm including the Croc Hermes bags that you bought at Maxfields and all the other shit you bought. Meanwhile, half the people don't know I had to drag you out of stores to not buy stuff. Do yeah. you know how many salespeople hated me in Jeffries, in Maxfields? Because you didn't need so much. And I would yeah. drag you out of there and they would just see like 50 grand, 20 grand, 10 grand, walk right out the door. Oh. But in any case, you were going to be on live with, I don't know if it's Regis or Kelly, whatever, who cares? Gelman wanted you to wear um, athletic wear. Uh. And you said, no, I'm not going to wear athletic wear. Very simple. You're not, you're going to come on to talk about fitness, but you're not wearing athletic wear. He said, well, we really need you to come and put wear athletic wear. That's the whole segment. And you said, no, I'm not wearing athletic wear. And he goes, well, what about if we buy it for you? Is it like, that's going to make a difference? Like they're going to spend 50 bucks. (laughs) And you said, no, lo and behold, you go on the show. You're in your Carol Christian poll. And I think at the time when Chanel was doing men's, you had this Chanel sweater on. And you look fabulous. And I said, how did it go? And you said, good. They'll probably, you said, they'll probably never invite me again, but it was great. And you set your look and you set your standard and you set your path for what you wanted to be known for. Yeah. And I will say, I look back at uh, that and that's how I've always been. And, you know, there's times in life where you have to play the game and like, I'm good at playing the game, I just have this thing and I've always had it where it's like, just don't tell me what to wear. Like, I'm not gonna, like, I would take advice from you because I know that you know fashion, but like, I'm not gonna listen to, you know, the gailman uh, that's gonna say, I'll go buy you something. And by the way, they've never had me on their show ever again. You guessed it and you said it. Never, they've never, like, there were times I was like, oh my God, I really wanna go on this show. Not once, they were always just like this. Nope, nope, nope. And I'm like this, you know, when you, when you, and this is how I've always been too. When you decide to make these types of like choices and that's what, it was a choice. Like there were times people like, I didn't want to just be the fitness person. And, you know, and, and to my, sometimes to my own um, detriment, you know, it's like people like me in the fitness in that fitness element, that's why I'm like, okay. So that's when I started like playing around with like, I'll wear fitnessy things, but what my idea of fitness is. And then like that got over a lot of, you know, people were like, oh, okay, that's, that looks, that looks like fitness to, to their, um, I still think it was a good move. And I think that it's their loss is Gelman must be still the producer. That's why Gelman's still the producer. It must be. I don't know. But it's their loss because, I mean, you're funny, man. You are funny. I mean, you know what it is? When you come, you bring it. You don't only bring the knowledge, which I didn't even get out of you yet. I need some takeaways of knowledge about dieting, about fitness. But aside from that, it's you bring the knowledge, you bring the fashion, you bring the humor. You have a lot to offer. So their loss. Well, I appreciate that. And that's why I've always had a really good relationship with Andy Cohen. Like, like we have fun. Like I, he has me on his show when I have nothing to promote. Cause like, you know, we will have fun. Like, like I enjoy this, what you and I are doing right Right. now. I enjoy it. I will bring my A game in because like, I want to hear what, what we're going to talk about. I want to, I find it to be interesting and I find it to be fun. People, people like this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I love that you and Andy are still friends. We have such different views of Andy. I remember when I went with you to do his show, he didn't even remember me. I mean, we, I had a sizzle that um, went for Bravo. It was supposed to be for Bravo, but Uh it was right before Andy got there. I forgot the woman's name. So the sizzle was for particularly Bravo. And uh, when I went to go meet Andy, and, you know, he had like six people there with him. And then I came in with six people and uh, it was from BBC. And I remember seeing all these people. I'm like, I couldn't muster up this many people to come to my funeral. And, you know, everyone started laughing. And for some reason, he was really cool. He never, you know, of course, picked up the show, which is not a problem. It probably wasn't for them or not what he wanted. But then I remember seeing him again when we went to his studio. But I know that you guys really love each other and have some kind of um, a relationship. Yeah, we have a uh, we have a nice a, a nice relationship. Like 
we text all the time. Uh, you know, he he likes my uh, my wit. Like the last time I did his show, uh, which was like a couple of months ago, he uh, there was a question because he always likes to do these like you know ask Bob the fitness questions, and the question was, and of course, in only the way that Andy can um, do it was like, can you really burn that many calories having sex? And so, and I didn't know what the questions were. And I, I heard that question and I just kind of leaned into the camera. I was like, well, the way I do it, <laughs> he, thought, he thought that was the best thing. Like afterwards, you're like, you're just so much fucking fun. I'm like, I was like, I just, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, it's interesting. People had thought that you guys were, before Anthony, people thought you guys had a, a relationship, but you didn't. There was nothing. You and Andy were always friends. I, I know yeah, that. He, I'm just. He wrote about me in um, one of his books. Uh, he was talking about how uh, he tried to make a play and he was like, you can't play a player, <laughs> which I thought was really uh, funny. And I was like, Andy, I love you. You're too old for me. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm older than him. It doesn't matter if people saw Anthony, they'd know, they'd know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I want to talk about a very dark time. I want to get to it because it was a really dark time I know for you. Um, your life came to a screeching halt. And not only did your life come to a screeching halt, but you've had all of us, your friends and the people that loved you, questioning everything, questioning what are we doing? How can this happen? And I'm talking about the heart attack of 2017. You had a massive heart attack in 2017 in a gym in New York City, taking a class. Now, I remember getting a phone call that Sunday. I had just gotten back from brunch with the kids and Brad. And I sat on the couch and I remember getting a phone call from Dan Rothman, he had president of Dolce & Gabbana, who I'm friends with. And he said, you know, your friend Bob went to the hospital. The ambulance came. And I said to him, I'm sure it's nothing. He, I know he was feeling dizzy. It might be vertigo. He said, no, Rich, they used a defibrillator on him. This is serious. And I remember dropping the phone, jumping in the car, running to the hospital to find you in, in an induced coma for three, four days. It was horrifying. Can you tell me and tell the people a little bit about, did you see this coming on? I mean, I remember the phone call you made to me a week before, but tell me a little bit, tell the people how this came on. Yeah, it was, uh, it was the darkest time of my life. Uh, what's interesting about that Sunday is that I don't remember it at all. I have no recollection of getting up in this apartment that I'm in right now in New York. I don't remember taking my dog for a walk that morning to the gym. I met my, um, one of my really good friends, Sean. He said that I was complaining about being dizzy and he was like, you just weren't yourself. And he said, in the middle of that workout, you just laid down on the ground and rolled onto your side. And he like immediately knew something was up. They called 911. I not only had a heart attack at that moment, I went into cardiac arrest. So when that doctor who was at an event in the gym, when someone said, you know, is there a doctor in the house? He comes down, he was expecting to see someone that, uh, you know, had turned their ankle or did something. And he was like, I looked down on the ground and I saw Bob Harper and I had already turned blue at the time. And there were these people there that were trying to perform CPR on me, but had no idea what they were doing. And I think that if there's one thing that um, the one biggest takeaway, all of your um, listeners is the importance of being CPR certified, because this man, if he would not have been here, I wouldn't be here. He can't You almost died. I just, it needs to I, be said, you almost never, died. I was dead for nine minutes on that floor. That's why when you saw me in the hospital, I was in an induced coma because they were trying to, when they were realized that I was gonna survive this, was I gonna be the same person? Cause they didn't know how long my brain had been without oxygen. So, you know, it's just, it was such a dark time. Imagine waking up in a hospital you know, out of this coma after three days and them just saying, okay, this is what happened to you. And it's like, here I was. And like my Christy and Kate were there from LA and my, my sister and her daughter from Tennessee were there. And I, I was just like, I was so confused by it all. Like what, what is going on? And um, I mean, it, 
it really messed me up and it messed me up for uh, a long time. Did you wonder how can this happen to me? I'm a trainer. I eat healthy. I exercise. And that's what I remember because now I've done so much work these past um, four years working with AstraZeneca and traveling around the country, uh, working with fellow heart attack survivors. And one uh, one thing that I had done or I said to them was because someone asked me, he's like, what's the one word that you would use to um, describe how you were feeling? And the word that I had was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that this happened to me because like I was, you know, I'm the fitness guy. I'm the one that you come to with diet advice, how to work out. And like this happened to me, like none of it made sense to me. And when I realized and found out of my genetic issues that I had no idea, like I thought I was doing everything right. I'm like, I eat right. I work out. I'm going to live to be, you know, a hundred plus. And that was, that was not the case. I mean, you, you cannot, you cannot fight your way out of um, bad genes. You know, now I realize how important life is more than ever. And when I get twisted about, you know, when I get twisted about politics or I get twisted about Anthony pissing me off or whatever the case may be, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Like. What matters is love. What matters is my friendship. What matters are my dogs. Like this is what matters in life for me. And and it's still a it's still a challenge when you know I can get twisted and turned up about certain things. And I'm like, no. And it's like I have to like really talk myself off that ledge. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm not letting that trigger me. I'm not letting. I'm not letting the news um, mess with me. I'm not letting, uh, you know, the dumbest things affect me. I'm going like, to, you know, because the problem is it's habitual. I have the same problem as you. I'm emotional. I get crazy over things. I get crazy when things are out of place, when the kids make a mess. It's habitual. If you can continue to keep telling yourself it really doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. In the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. Sooner or later, your brain is going to listen to what your mouth is saying. Yeah, it's the proactive formula that the Rob Berg um, taught me many years ago. It's like being able to stop don't react to a situation right. and, and whatever you do after you have like stopped for that moment to process, it's going to be the right decision. Even if you still get pissed off, you know, you're going to start to change the, the, the chemistry of your, your brain. And so it just takes, it takes a while. You had symptoms before you had symptoms leading up to the heart attack. Do you want to tell us what they were? Oh, I mean the biggest symptom and I broke my biggest rule uh, was, you know, listening to your body. Cause like, you know, when something's up, you know, when, you know, God's tapping you on the shoulder, like something's going on. And if you choose to ignore it, this is, th these things could happen. And I was experiencing these dizzy spells and they were really bad. Six weeks before my heart attack, um, I was in LA and I fainted in a gym and, you know, I woke up and everyone's around me. And I was just like, I, I worked out too hard. I was dehydrated, made all these excuses. And, um, and it wasn't until I had that heart attack, but it was the weekend before when I was on the phone with you because the dizzy spells were happening so quickly and they were stopping me dead in my tracks. I remember being on 18th with you on the phone, my dog on my hand, and I'm on my knees on the street in New York City in February, it was cold. And I was like, Richie, these dizzy spells are not getting any better. I am literally on my knees on the street. And you were just like, you're going to see my doctor. And I remember putting that, I was like, I am, I'm gonna go see your doctor. Let's like, you know, let's plan this for Monday. And you were just like, you know, just let me know how you're feeling because that's just who you are. And, um, and that I remember telling you that, you know, listen, don't get scared. It could be vertigo. Yeah. It sounds like it could be vertigo, but you have to see my doctor. Yeah. You have to see my doctor. You have to check it out. Check it out. Yeah. Cause like yeah. I kept getting people saying, oh, it's vertigo. Look, you're the picture mm. of hell. I'm like, so now here's the funny thing. And it's not really funny, but I mean, it's a sad thing or ironic. I don't know what it is, but 
your heart attack jolted all of us. Now, I remember seeing my doctor, the doctor that I sent you to, that I went with you to, mm -hmm. and he had told me years before to take a calcium score because heart disease runs in my family. And it took for you to have your heart attack for me years later to go get that calcium score. And yeah. guess what? Guess what? I don't eat red meat. I don't eat cheese. I run like a hamster. I exercise. I had calcification. I had to now take a statin, which yep. literally put me over the edge. Cause I said, if I'm doing everything right and I still have to take a statin and I have calcification, then what's my future going to look like? But here's the good news. And this is what the doctor told me. Most of his patients are between the ages of 40 and 90 something. He goes, do you know why I'm hardly ever in the cardiac unit is because we give people the test. And if they have calcification, we give them a baby aspirin and we give them a statin and that prevents them from having a heart attack. The mm -hmm. problem is a lot of people don't do that. So I, I hate to say it, but you kind of took a bullet for the team because we all ran to go do what we had to do and realize that no matter how much you work out or no, ma no matter how healthy you think you are, at a certain age, you have to get checked for everything. I agree. And I think the, another big takeaway uh, for this conversation is the fact that uh, you do need to have that relationship with your doctor. So, you know, you know what your health is actually from the inside out, not just because you've got a six pack or you look great in your, in your jeans. But also I think what is super, super important and what I'm seeing Richie more in the world that we live in are people are have people are having heart attacks at younger ages because of like, I don't know, because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. What I am seeing though, is so many people younger, fitter, stronger in, in gyms, working out the way that I had my heart attack. I had my heart attack in the gym. And yes, I was, I, I had a precondition that I was unaware of. I think the point is that I'm trying to say is as you get older, you don't have to, you don't have to work out the way you did when you were twenties in your thirties. Like I was always in a room with people way younger than me that I could keep up. And that was like, that was pride, honey. And there's a reason why pride is one of the seven deadly sins. Like I was like, I can hang with all of you and I'm good. But I've gotten to the point now, I still work out every single day. Uh, you know, I, I do things that make me feel good and I don't need to push myself to these crazy extremes like I used to. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you why I love what you're saying. For somebody like me that is pretty reasonably, you know, smart, I mean, I, I can reason with myself and I know at my age, my knee hurts, my hip hurts, and I run, I run, I do everything that I know I shouldn't be doing. What I love about what you're saying is that you are giving people like me permission to not have to work out the way we worked out 10 years ago. Yeah. I need that. I need permission to say, Rich, you don't have to work out the way you used to work out. And here's the crazy part is my body really hasn't changed. So yeah. my goal, and it's funny, I tell Brad, my goal is to try to do as little as possible by maintaining the body that I have. How little can I do and maintain? And let me tell you, uh, thinking like that, you're going to be an old, old man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hope so. Like, you don't have to push yourself to these extremes. Like, I didn't think, because of course, my workouts were always a stress reliever for me, right? They were... Uh, they were my social interactions. It was like, like me getting together with my friends. It was like, so working out in that way was um, very social and stress relieving. So imagine having that heart attack, not being able to do those kind of things because of the, the fear I had of having another heart attack. So I had to change everything. I had to change the way that I eat now, the way that I work out and like, and you know, it's adapting. Like I could, I could sit there and go, oh, poor me. I don't want to, I, I, I still want to go out and eat burgers and I still want to do crazy. No, you don't anyway. I know you don't. No, I, 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 don't. Burgers. I, know. I don't, I don't I know. at all. Like, you know, back before my heart attack, like I was like 210 big muscle guy doing all these crazy workouts. Now I'm like 170, 175. And I feel like I look, I, I like the way I look. Of, I love the way, cause you look ripped. Uh, the point is you look ripped. You know how I judge when somebody looks good? 
I don't care about the muscles on your shoulders or your biceps. Take off your shirt and let me see your stomach. (laughs) That is all I go by. So if you think you're going to come with a loose tank top and huge chest and things, I'm like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. I want to see what's going on in the middle. That's how I know what the deal is. That's how I go by. I mean, that... I'm going to quote what you once said to me. When I look in the mirror and that's gone, that will put me in the hospital. Yeah. You said that about another part of your body, but I won't say, (laughs) I won't tell you which one it is. So what do you do now? I'm curious because I want people to know, because you don't need to have a life altering heart attack or illness to change the way you work out when you're a little bit older. So tell me what you do. Tell people what you do and also how you eat. What is your diet like? Because I know you went through many different diets. You were Mm -hmm. vegan, paleo, you did many different things. Yeah, I think that um, my diet now, if I had to classify it, it would be more Mediterranean. It's fish, it's a lot of vegetables, um, it's whole grains. You know, I don't eat, uh, I mean, I'll eat some chicken every once in a while. I don't eat uh, meat anymore. Like, I mean, I get... Like I still have a, a, a craving for it. And if Anthony is eating a burger, you know, and if I take a bite of it, you know, I'm fine with it because I don't eat like that consistently. I don't right. have a sweet tooth. I don't like, so, you know, my diet, I feel like I've found a way to just do something that works for me. Uh, and that's what I do. And when it comes to my workouts, I mean, I do, I still do hot yoga. That's my primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just started, I partnered with this uh, fitness app called Neo U that uh, I work, I like that they offer so many different styles of workouts. What is it called? Neo U? Yeah. Spell it. N-E-O-U. And it's like, it's basically online fitness because that's how so many like that's how the world has been working out this past year mostly uh and and i like it because it's <laughs> sometimes i'll do a dance class sometimes i'll just want to like oh my i gotta see that uh, well, i gotta one day see you took a dance class I mean, what kind of dance i mean like a hip-hop like i'll just oh i just move around like you know so i guess my point is my workouts have been very much um something that i enjoy as opposed to having to go to these extremes. Like I don't need, I don't need the extremes that I, that I lived for, you know, for the longest time. And I don't miss it. Like I, I like what I do. I like the way that I look and I like the way that I work out. So. So I do want to reiterate, Bob would push himself. He hit, I think that your whole thing was pushing yourself to you couldn't go anymore. That was the whole premise of your workout. And what I love of what's happening now as we get older is that you actually look amazing. To me, you look better because you look more ripped and you're working out less hard. You're working out smarter. And I think you're giving America and you're giving men permission to not have to do what you did 20 years ago. My body can't do what it did. And when I try to do it, it I get pain in my elbow. I'll get pain in my knee. So I'm allowing myself thanks to you. So you really are America's I trainer. I love that. I love that you said permission because, I mean, I just like the way that sounds because it's it's true. It's like I'm giving people permission not to not to beat themselves up the way that they. Do. When you're 20 and 30, go for it. But like, start to be smarter. I think start to be more um, mindful of what your workouts look like. Okay, I like that. Can you tell me, because I don't even think we discuss this, when we go out, we rarely talk about business. We're too busy laughing and having fun. What new projects, if there are any, can you talk about? Well, um, other than Neo U. Neo U is um, a one that I'm um, having a lot of fun with, but um, also my um, my relationship with AstraZeneca has uh, really uh, taken on. AstraZeneca is the medication. It's a major pharmaceutical company, yes, and uh, I- Is that the one you do the commercials for? Uh-huh, and okay. uh, we have something called Survivors Have Heart, and it was like this little thing that we did uh, three, three and a half years ago that has turned into something that I'm like so proud of. Like, I, I, I'm more proud of this than I was working with Michelle Obama on the Let's Move initiative. Like, this is- like I go around and speak to um, fellow heart attack survivors and I not only talk to them, but I talk to um, 
their caregivers, the people that were there for them, that helped them during during that really difficult time. And um, it's been something that's been super, super rewarding for me, so. Okay, how do you feel about the future for Bob Harper and your health? How, what do you see for the future? Do you still worry about, I mean, I worry because, you know, as you know, heart disease runs in my family on both sides. Mm -hmm. And I had my kids late in life and I'm always doing the math. I'm always thinking about mortality when I'm going to die. And if I die at this age, the kids will be at that age. So I have to make it to that age to be able to see them in graduation. So that's where my head is at because I'm still a lunatic. Where is your head at years after your heart attack? Uh I don't live with the fear that I lived with for a very long time. For the, uh, I couldn't be alone for the longest time. And now I don't have that fear because I'm not letting fear consume me the way that uh, it did. I think that, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to do all the things that I'm supposed to be doing, eating right, working out, um, getting enough sleep, trying to manage my stress those types of things. Uh, and you know what, if I can do all those things to make me feel protected and make me feel safe, then I'm going to continue to do that. And that's what, that's what keeps me going because I'm never going to, you know, you're never going to find me, you know, morbidly obese, you know, that's kind of like given up. Like I'm never, I'm never given up. We always say that you're going to your grave, thin ripped with a full head of hair and come de garçon. That's, um, maybe it's going to be, um, what's, uh, maybe it's Kong, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Yoji, maybe it's, or Yoji. I yes, I think you said Yoji. I think, I think you said so. Yoji. You want to be buried yeah. in Yoji. Yeah. I'll be buried in Yoji. Okay. We have to do this again because we didn't even cover your art, which I love. I mean, at some point I got to mooch a picture from you because one of the very first pictures I saw that you did, which I said, I was so impressed. How can, it's not fair that you have so many talents. You took a picture of a bunch of religious boys coming out of a yeshiva that had on the yarmulke and the tzitzit coming out of their shirts and they were playing in a puddle. And I don't remember if it was raining, but you took black and white photos of them playing in the puddle. And there was something so beautiful about it because there you saw these young kids without a care in the world, just being kids, regardless of what you may think about the religion or the extreme of it, or you know whatever you might think. It was just a beautiful, beautiful photo. And you've been uh -huh. taking beautiful photos ever since. And what is the, um, your IG handle for the photographs? Uh, it's Bob Harper Gallery gallery and is it trainer bob for your regular instagram uh, regular it's bob harper bob harper for your regular instagram if you want to see some great photos of him um i'm excited we have to do this again because we need to talk next time about food diet calorie counting there's so much i can keep you on the phone forever but you know this is something we're going to have to do again yep and i know i'm going to say goodbye but i'm going to see you in five minutes i'll okay. see you when we get back to new york anyway i love so, you Thank you for coming on. I love you too. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R I T C H in life.com.